Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again back to the program here on Now Appalachia and another episode of Now Appalachia as we are carried and broadcast across the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, sponsoring and profiling those authors with connections to Appalachia. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us today. And I'm so delighted to have with us today uh, a Southern Ohio writer who lives in Cincinnati. Uh, He is a mystery and thriller writer. He's got a brand new book out that we're going to talk about. But not only that, we're going to talk about that book in particular, but we're also going to talk about just his general career as a writer as well, because he's done a lot of books in addition to the one that we're going to be talking about. Our guest today is author Trace Conjure. And he is an award-winning author in the crime, thriller, and suspense genres. He writes two primary series that we're going to focus on today. One is the Connor Harding thriller series, and the other is the Mr. Finn P.I. series. His Connor Harding series follows a freelance sort of mirage man named Connor Harding as he solves problems for the world's most dangerous criminals. And then his Mr. Finn series follows private investigator Finn Harding as he straddles the fine line between right and wrong. And Conjure is a Seamus award-winning author. He won that for his debut novel called The Shadow Broker, and his suspense novella The White Boy won the Fresh Ink Award for Best Novella of 2020, and he has a really tight writing style, a lot of dark themes in his work, but some also, uh, those are imbued with some subtle humor, and he lives in Cincinnati with his wonderfully supportive family, who we're going to learn a little bit more about as well on the program. So Trace, uh, welcome to Now Appalachia, great to have you on the program. Elliot, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to have you. I, I've been following you on social media for a long time and uh, got into your uh, Connor Harding series and, and absolutely loved it. And I just am so delighted to talk to you about it because you've got a brand new book in that series. It's called The Wicked Side, uh, which we're going to talk about here uh, in just a second. But I wanted to ask you first uh, sort of a genre question, because I think for writers and readers of sort of mystery and suspense, we sometimes follow two different kinds of protagonists. And you've got one in Mr. Finn, the, the P.I. series. You have a private investigator kind of featured in that series. And then Connor Harding, sort of a different protagonist. He's sort of more of a, a kind of a, a fixer, a, a guy that comes in and fixes problems. But in terms of writing protagonists in that genre, what are some of the sort of characteristics and responsibilities that a, a private investigator adheres to uh, in that genre, as opposed to maybe someone like Connor, who can kind of operate uh, a little more freely. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the, the the conventions that you have to use when writing a private investigator sort of character, as opposed to someone like Connor? Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> what a lot of people don't, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that private investigators are licensed by the state, similar to an attorney or you know a, a doctor, and they have to, you know uphold a certain code of conduct in order to maintain that uh, that license. And most PIs don't do the sexy work, right? A lot of these people are working with corporations. Maybe they're working with law firms because that's where the money is. So they're doing a lot of work that might, um, that basically requires them to have a license. So if you were writing a realistic PI um, series or, or a realistic PI character, you know, you'd have to be very careful in the situations that you put them in and the kind of things that they did, because if they lose their license, they kind of lose their livelihood. 
Um, but I'm going to turn that on its head because uh, in the uh, in the Mr. Finn series, Finn has lost his license. Uh, he tried uh, he tried to be kind of the straight and narrow PI and do the normal work. Um, he ended up doing something and was uh, something illegal and was caught for it and he was dropped. Uh, so because he doesn't have his license, he really doesn't have the bread and butter opportunities that most private investigators have. And that really relegates him to then having to work with the people who don't care if he's licensed or not. And those tend to be criminals and essentially bad people. That is great for, uh, you know, for plot because it puts him in some pretty bad situations. Um, so I think if you're writing a realistic PI, you really have to think about that. But I kind of get to disregard it because, you know, for for Finn, he's already lost his PI license and he's not going to lose it anymore. So I don't really have to worry too much about that. But I would say that I always strive in anything that I'm writing, whether it be horror or mystery, thriller, whatever, I really strive for authenticity. So, you know, I I try and put myself in that situation. You know, I'm not a private investigator, nor have I ever been, Um, although I do talk to them a lot, you know, when I'm plotting out the books. So I'm constantly questioning, you know, is this a realistic response? Is this something that a real PI would do? You know, obviously you take a little bit of creative license here and there because it's fiction. But, you know, when I'm thinking through the situations that I'm going to put my characters in and the actions they're going to take, I really want that to be as authentic and realistic as possible. Yeah, very well said. And I think uh, my my sense is we get the, the, the PI role mixed up a little bit because a lot of people watch crime shows and they watch, you know, ID on, on their television sets or online. And, you know, you're watching this case, this hour case about a murder or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, the family of the victim hires a private investigator and you've been watching all these detectives and everybody else be interviewed. Now the private investigators thrust in. And I think a lot of people just think, Oh, well, well, he's just like another detective or he, you know, she's just like another detective and she's got all the privileges, rights, and responsibilities that the, that the law enforcement, you know, officials have, but, but, uh, but it is, is very different, sort of the the avenue and the angles and the things that they occupy, the space they occupy uh, in investigations. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, Connor Harding, and we'll come back to Mr. Finn uh, in just a little bit, because there's an interesting tie-in between those two series that I'll have you talk about a little bit later. But um, Connor Harding, we meet him in your first book in the series called Catch and Release. And he's really an interesting character. He's someone that served in in military intelligence, I believe, for the army, mm-hmm. uh, and and now he's out, and now he's kind of putting those those skills to use. But what's really interesting about him is he sort of finds himself getting involved in in a lot of things that he doesn't always really want to, but he eventually does anyway. Can you talk about that duality for him as a character in terms of you know he he you know because he'll say oftentimes uh, in that in that book and especially in the Wicked side he has these moments where he thinks oh why am I doing this you know why did I agree to do this but yet there's there's like a compulsion or a pull to help people that are in bad spots. Can you talk a little bit about developing him as a character and that duality that kind of defines him? Absolutely. Yeah. That, so the Connor Harding series currently is three books. Uh, the second book in the series, Mirage Man, I actually wrote first. Um, and then I wrote Catch and Release as kind of a prequel. So Mirage Man, the second book, really dives into uh, Connor's background a lot more than the first book does. Um, we get to we get to see him. Uh, we get to understand his relationship with the New York mob and how he ended up working for the New York mob, what he did for them. But um you know, Connor is, you know, kind of this, 
I hate to use the word stereotypical fixer, but I feel like now that term is kind of ubiquitous and it's everywhere now. He was a problem solver for the mob. Um, so he often found himself in situations that he did not do anything to put himself in. Someone that he worked for needed something done, and he was kind of the go-to the go-to person to to solve the problem. Um, so I, I think it's 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 kind of fun from a from a writing standpoint that you know, and this is similar to to the Finn series as well. Connor does he finds himself in situations whether be, you know because he either owes someone a favor. Um, or he's doing it as a favor to someone else, or perhaps uh, in actually in um, the Wicked Side, at the end of this, the Wicked Side is the third book in the series. And at the end of the second book, he is indebted financially to Zoe Armstrong, who is a, a, a New York City underworld figure and owes her quite a bit of money. And, you know, at the end of that book, he, I forget how I phrased it, but, you know, he understands that Zoe is not someone you want to owe money to, because at some point he's going to have to, you know, pay that back. And so that's exactly what happens on the wicked side. You know, Zoe has a, a family issue. Uh, her niece has gone missing in, in uh, the fictional town of Big Rock, Wyoming, in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming. And, um, you know, she calls in her favor and she sends Connor out there. But so it is I think it is kind of fun because I can put Connor in situations where he doesn't always want to be there. But I think that adds kind of a, an extra layer to the to the theme and to the fun. And something else that you work into him as a character and into your stories is a little bit of humor. And there's moments where there's this really serious conversation taking place or someone asks Connor, be, albeit, you know, someone like Zoe or or a, a, a detective friend or just a minor character that he meets along the way, asks him a serious question or they're having a serious conversation. And Connor has just this really witty kind of uh, a funny, humorous response. Is it difficult to put humor in those moments when you're writing or uh, is that something that, you know, you go back and put in or insert in like during the revision process? Or do, do you know, as you're writing and having that conversation, this would be a good time to to have Connor sort of zing somebody with something humorous or witty. How, how do you structure all of that, putting that humor into sometimes these very dark stories? Yeah, it's I think a lot of that is. It's, it's more so my personality. I kind of think, how would I, you know, how would I act in those situations? Uh, Connor and Finn are both, I mean, they're very serious people. They deal with very dangerous people, the plots that they're involved in. You know, there's a lot at stake. Um, so they're not necessarily comical, but I feel like in those, situ in those dire situations, you kind of have to have a little bit of humor to get you through it. Um, you know, and this isn't, you know, these aren't slapstick, you know, novels by by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's just more indicative of Connor's personality. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to be there. He he tends to say things that's on his mind because he he doesn't really care too much about, you know, what you think about him. So I think because of that, some of that natural humor kind of comes through. But as far as the writing uh, and, and how it gets in there, I, mean, I think a lot of it is just organic. I don't do a ton of revision. I mean, most of the you know, there are a few exceptions, but most of the first draft, it almost always gets into the final book. I mean, when, when I'm writing subsequent drafts, I always go in and kind of clarify things here or there. I'll definitely tighten things up because I'm a big proponent of writing story first and the first draft being all about the story. Um, but yeah, as far as like, you know, the humor and, and, and the dialogue and things like that, that's usually just all organic with the first draft. 
Very good. Very good. And you mentioned something about Connor's personality that fits in so well to your brand new book, Catch and Release, and the fact that he doesn't kind of care what people think about him. Well, when he shows up uh, in Big Rock, as you were talking about a moment ago, because Zoe Armstrong calls in that favor, her niece Ellie has gone missing um, out in Big Rock, Wyoming, and Connor shows up and really just turns the town upside down. I mean, he just starts digging, asking questions, getting himself involved in all kinds of things. And he runs in all, into all, kind of, uh, all kinds of resistance. And one of the things I loved about that story is the local police department, who should really be kind of taking the lead on this, uh, is stonewalling. And they seem to be dragging their feet a little bit. Uh, and Connor's not having any of that either. Um, what's going on there with, with the police department? I, I don't want to ask you to give away too much, but 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 why are they so resistant to, to Connor's... Um, uh, pleas or requests to, to help and to investigate this. Why are they so reluctant to do that? Yeah, at first, and I'm going to, I'm going to couch my answer in a, in a, in a certain way to your point, because I don't want to give away <clears throat> any, uh, any spoilers, but um, I think they're resistant to Connor because they see him as this, just this outsider. He comes in, he's brash. He starts asking questions. Big rock is a, is a small town. Um, very small town and it's one of those areas where everyone kind of knows everyone else and um from connor's perspective to your point right these are police officers he's coming in with this request of you know understanding more about ellie who's been missing uh and they don't really seem to care on on one side i think the police are just one they're very hesitant about who he is and why he's there um they don't really know you know they don't really know what his role is so I think on one end, they're they're just a little secretive because they don't trust him. But again, but on the other side, I don't think they're really convinced that anything bad has happened. They're not really convinced that Ellie has disappeared. Ellie's a teenager, you know, and from their perspective, you know what? People disappear, you know, every now and then, but they always come back, you know, so they're not ready to, you know, just stop everything they're doing and start looking for this person all over Wyoming because they don't really believe that she's gone. So I think the hesitancy one is 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 somewhat somewhat valid, um, but again, this is also a very small town police force. We've got three people working there, um, so you know we're not dealing with the FBI who's going to you know jump right into things and and start working to get the case done. Um, but it also you know there's also a, a structural structural element for that in that uh, you know it's you know they're somewhat antagonist right they're going to be in in connor's way and if connor could get what he wanted get what he wanted from everyone that he talked to right <laughs> then i don't think the uh i don't think the novel would be that great so yeah and and not to give any more away but when connor has had enough in this book uh there's kind of two sides to him there is a, sort of this this nice, okay, go along to get along kind of Connor. And then there's the, the, the no holds barred Connor. And I think there, there's a point in the story where no holds, no hold, no holds barred Connor shows up. And uh, that's when it, it really gets interesting. I wanted to ask you something else about the book. There, there's a sort of a, a subplot tied into this. You were talking about the FBI. Uh, we learn also that there is a connection between um between her uh, and that's Ellie and her father who worked for the FBI and I love how in all of your books that there are these subplots that uh, we follow and little bits of information that we learn about characters as almost as Connor's learning as he's investigating. Um, 
but those subtle plot points really play an important role in the overall structure of the story. And I wanted to ask you, uh, in setting that up in this particular case, having her father, having having created her father as someone who'd done some work for the FBI, when you're putting that story together, is that something that you know kind of going in, uh, that you want that connection to be there? Or is that something that as you're, as you're drafting, as you talk about putting that first draft together, um, you, you just, you think, well, I need to add another thread. I need to add another sort of layer to the onion and this might be the best way to do it. How, how did you do that here with that example? And really with all of your books, I love how the subplots, you really have to pay attention to them because they do tie into uh, uh, the overall structure of your stories. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because most of my main characters are, well, let's call them anti-heroes. I don't think they're bad people, but they definitely have bad sides to them. They they definitely do things that most people would find unethical. Um, but I always try and paint kind of the, I want the law enforcement side in there as well. I think in most of my novels, um, it's either the FBI is there, local law enforcement is there, in the, the prison guard's son, uh, it was the U.S. Marshals uh, play a big part in it, because I want to kind of show that other side as well. Um, and in, in The Wicked Side particularly, when I was plotting it out, I think um, Aiden, Aiden Armstrong, who is Ellie's father, he's a consultant for the FBI, so he's not necessarily on staff, but I wanted to, one of the reasons why I put that in there was... You know, as I'm kind of concepting this idea of why is Ellie missing, right? What are the what are the realistic reasons why she could be gone? And there's a few of them that come out in the book, but one of them is, you know, is it revenge? Is, you know, is, is this group that that snatches her? You know, are they related? Is this related to anything that Aiden was doing with the FBI? You know, is this is kind of a, a revenge plot? So um, that was really why I put that one in there uh, specifically. Very, very good. I, I just love that. And I love the fact that we have to we have to pay attention to, to, to those subplots because just those little details or those little connections always play a bigger role, not only in the investigation itself, but in kind of what Connor learns uh, about those characters. We are speaking with um, author, award winning author in the crime thriller and suspense genres, uh, Trace Conjure here today on Now Appalachia. He is the author of the brand new book, the third book in the Connor Harding series. It's called The Wicked Side. It's his eighth novel overall. And Trace will come back to uh, the book in just a second. I wanted to ask you something that I, I noticed about the, the books that I've read from you in the acknowledgments section. You always write about and thank your your family, uh, you know, your, your wife and your family, for supporting you and allowing you the opportunity to, to be a writer and to do this. Why why is that important, you know, for you and really for all writers in general to have sort of that that familial support behind the scenes to allow you to do the work that you do? You know, I think they're just a really big part uh, in allowing me to do this. Um, you know, being an author is very it's a solo endeavor for the most part. Right. I mean, I, for the you know, I'm usually locked in a room with the voices in my head, you know, all day. And, and, and so I don't really get a lot of, uh, you know, I, I don't work with other people. Um, there's not a, a ton of social interaction. So it's, it's kind of a weird job, but um, you know, my, you know, I was a, I was an advertising copywriter for years before I started writing fiction. I actually have a degree in creative writing from Ohio university that just sat on the shelf um, for a long time before, you know, I started writing fiction and um you know, I still recall the conversation where 
uh, you know, I, it was a dinner. We were at a Mexican restaurant with my wife and um, I had tried to write my first novel as I was still working at the ad agency and ad agencies can be grueling. I mean, you know, they're, they're like 50 hour weeks and it's just crazy hours. And, you know, you're constantly working late if there's certain projects due because you're really, everything is at the behest of the client. And um, I was just, I was burnt out and I had tried to get up early in the morning and write this novel and it wasn't working. I tried to stay up late, you know, and write the novel and it wasn't working. At one point, I had even talked to the ad agency and was able to get my um, schedule. I worked a flex schedule from Monday through Thursday, 10 hour days. So I had all day Friday off and I tried to write on Fridays and nothing worked. And, you know, I realized that I, I just, the schedule that the ad agency was giving me and the demands just, I was never going to get this novel done. And to me, that was a very, very important thing. So um, I ended up quitting and I ended up becoming a freelance writer, did the exact same thing that I was doing at the ad agency for even for some of the same clients, but I was working half the time. I was working 20 hours a week. So that gave me so much more flexibility and time available to um, write the novel. And, you know, a lot of that, came back on my wife, right? I mean, she had our health insurance. You know, she was the, you know, for lack of a better term, the breadwinner of the family at the at that time. And um so it, yeah, so I I mean I'm I'm very thankful for, you know, all that she's done. You know, my kids have been amazing. Um I always like to bounce ideas off of them. They're always asking me, what am I writing about? You know, what's the new story? When's the new book coming out? Even though, you know, you know my daughter's read a few. She's uh, she's 15 now. So she's read a few of the novels. Um, my son, I think, has only read The White Boy, which, you know, is uh, uh, is probably, you know, it's that, that was my horror and suspense novella. So it really didn't handle, uh, it didn't touch a lot of the themes on the um, the murder and the mystery side. But um yeah, they just they've been a big part in keeping me going because it, it can be tough, you know, and, and not to, you know, give anyone a sob story, but you get in your head a lot. You know, you you lose confidence in your, in your abilities, you know, as an author. And there's there's a lot of voices in your head. And my, I think, you know, my wife especially has always been great about, you know, just get out of your head. You're a good author. Just go do it. And so, yeah, so I'm, I'm forever thankful for everything those guys have done. No, that's terrific. That's terrific. It's so important to have that support. And I, I think that's great that they're there with you each and every step of the way as you uh, work on your work and uh, get drafts put together and, and have those moments of self-doubt, which all authors have uh, at various points and at various times. So, uh, Trace, who are some writers that influence you or inspire you or whose work you look up to, um, both as a writer and a reader? You know, as a so I grew up on a lot of Stephen King um, books. I never had a long attention span, uh, still don't. So I, I I tend to gravitate more to his short story collections than his novels. <clears throat> um, but growing up, I mean, he was a huge influence. So much so that almost all of my short fiction has been horror and paranormal, um, which is it's kind of funny because I um I think I had just finished the Prison Guard Son. It was with my editor. And I was looking for something to do in the meantime, just as I was waiting on to get her edits back. And um, I started writing a short story that eventually turned into The White Boy. It just kept growing and growing and growing, got a little longer than I thought it would be, um, which is why that's kind of the only paranormal book that I've written, because it wasn't meant to be a book. It was only short stories. And if you go back and look at any of my short stories, most of them are, um, you know, are all, you know, paranormal or horror. 
but um hugely child fan i love the jack reacher uh series um you know definitely an influence to um uh you know the connor harding character and then same with joe lansdale as well i love the happen leonard series absolutely love it uh and that was a big uh, inspiration to the uh, mr finn series for the same reason you know you had mentioned humor a little a little while ago and if you've read the happen leonard series or if you've watched it they had um had a few seasons i think on amc uh i think um it's similar things, right? These guys are bad people. They're in very bad situations, but it's funny, uh, you know, and humor kind of helps drive the plot a little bit. So I would definitely say Lee Child and, and Joe Lansdale are probably the real big ones. Yeah. And, and two really good guys too. I mean, if you oh, absolutely. had a chance yeah. to meet them and they're, you know, they're interesting and, and nice and kind, but they're very supportive of writers and, and new writers and up and coming writers in terms of offering advice and, and giving workshops and doing videos and all kinds of things. So that's, yeah. re that's really great that they, they are two influences for you. Uh, we're yeah. speaking, we're speaking with author uh, Trace Conjure today here on now Appalachia. He is the author of eight, uh, previous novels. He's an award-winning author. He won the Seamus Award for his debut novel, The Shadow Broker, and his suspense novella, The White Boy, won the Fresh Ink Award for Best Novella of 2020. But we're talking to him today about his brand new book in the Connor Harding series. It's called The Wicked Side. So I want to ask you one question before we come back to The Wicked Side, uh, sure. Trace, and that is, there is a connection. We teased this earlier. There's a connection between Finn, Mr. Finn, and Connor. Uh, what what is that connection? There is something that kind of links those two series together. Can you talk about that? And would you be willing to share that uh, in terms of what that connection is? Absolutely. So uh, Finn, Mr. Finn, his real name is Finn Harding, and it is Connor Harding's younger brother. He's about five years younger. Uh, he is the um, unlicensed private investigator. And um, there's a bit of a crossover. I, I wrote the Mr. Finn series first. Uh, the Shadow Broker was my first novel uh, in Scar Tissue which is the second novel of that series, Connor makes an appearance. Um, Connor had, uh, I don't think I'm giving too much away here, but Connor had suggested that uh, Finn, Finn was looking for a case. He was looking for some money. And Connor suggested taking on a particular case, which goes south really fast. So Connor kind of feels um, uh, obligated to step in and kind of help out. I think he feels a little guilty with the way things, uh, some of the things that happened to his brother. So in the second novel in scar tissue, um, you know, Finn finds himself in, in some serious trouble and Connor kind of steps in to help out. Um, but it's interesting. I think, I think the plot is really interesting in that book because um, one of the subplots is there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes, people who were kind of coming after Finn because there's a price on his head uh, and Connor learns about that. So he leaves Boston and he goes to uh, Cincinnati where the book takes place. And um, he's trying to clean up this mess in the background, unbeknownst to Finn. Uh, he's trying to stop some of the people that are coming after uh, after uh, Finn. Um, so, you know, that's one side of the story, which I think is a lot of fun. But then eventually their, their paths cross because Finn is having a really hard time cracking the case. And they're trying to in that in that book, they're trying to find a um, a criminal banker who's disappeared with millions of dollars for the mob's money, uh, several crime families from, uh, from Indiana and they're, you know, those crime families want their money back. And, uh, so they hire Finn to go, um, to go find this guy and he can't do it. So he, uh, you know, Connor shows up to, uh, not only is he kind of protecting him, uh, in, in one plot, but at the same time, he's also helping him with this investigation. So 
Uh, we don't learn a lot about Connor in, in that book, but I think there's just enough to get you interested about who the character is. You know, because both of these guys have skill sets that you really wonder, all right, you know, how do they know how to do those things, right? Like, where did they learn? Where did they learn this stuff? Uh, so we learn a little bit about Connor, but then he's, I think, fleshed out a lot more in, in his own series. Yeah, very well said. So we've got we've got three books here uh, in the series with Connor Harding. Catch and Release is the newest one that we've been talking a lot about. Um, one of the things I love is watching the, the growth uh, of Connor over the the entire series. So as you think about him, uh, how has he grown and changed? Uh, do you think as a character, and where do you foresee his story going forward? You know, it's interesting that you say that because. I, I, I don't think he changes that much. I do think he becomes a little more empathetic, uh, you know, empathetic. I think um, I think he's similar to kind of a Jack Reacher character in that if you look at him in book one and if you look at him in book, you know, three, he's probably the same guy, right? He's not going through these crazy uh, character, you know, uh, evolutions or anything like that. But I think Connor has a really interesting take on the world in that, you know, bad people do bad things. And if you're going to play in that playground, bad things are going to happen to you. You know, so he, he kind of looks at the world as very black and white. Um, and I think a lot of that really comes out in Mirage Man in the second book when he goes back to New York, because he finds out at the beginning of that novel, he, he's left the, the, his New York crime family and there's a price on his head. Um, and he left under good terms. So he's wondering, well, you know, I got I got the boss's blessing to leave. And now someone's trying to kill me. So he goes back to try and figure out what's going on. But, um, you know, he, he looks at things as very black and white. But I do feel especially in the wicked side, you know, he's dealing with victims um, who are not involved in kind of the criminal underworld, right? He's dealing with this teenage girl who disappears. So, he, you know, he, he he begins to realize that you know, not everyone that gets wrapped up in these situations deserves to be there. So I think that's one of the ways that he really, um, that he, re that he evolves through the series. Very good. Very good. So in our final moments with you today, Trace, if anyone wants to uh, reach out to you or stay in contact with what you've got going on uh, with your writing, with the Connor Harding series or with the Mr. Finn series or with any other standalones <laughs> that you've written or in the process of writing, uh, how can they do that? How can they stay in contact with you, first of all? And then where can they get copies of your brand new book, Catch and Release? So easiest way to get me is probably at my website. It's just www.traceconger.com. All my books are listed there. All the retail links are listed there. Um, you know, eBooks, audiobooks, paperbacks, whatever format they're interested in, they can find retailers. Um, and then you can also sign up for my newsletter there. You can actually, anyone who signs up for the newsletter gets a free copy of, um, of the eBook of the Shadow Broker to start the Mr. Finn series for free. So no obligation if they want to get in and, and see what my writing is all about. Um, but I'm also on uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. Not super active on those channels. Um, but if you, uh, if you look, I'm pretty easy to find there. Our guest today on Now Appalachia has been award-winning crime thriller and suspense genre writer Trace Conjure. His brand new book is called Catch and Release. It is the third book in his Connor Harding series, who is sort of this freelance mirage man that solves problems for some of the world's most dangerous criminals. It, it's a great book. I would encourage everyone to go out and read it. 
uh, or more importantly, go back and start at the very beginning. Uh, start with uh, 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 start with with uh, catch and release. Excuse me. His brand new book is called The Wicked Side. So read The Wicked Side certainly, but go back and start with catch and release. Work your way through the Connor Harding series. Uh, you're going to love it. You're going to love The Wicked Side. It's a terrific story uh, set out in a fictional town in Wyoming. And then hop on over and check out his Mr. Finn uh, PI series because it's great as well. So Trace, uh, congratulations uh, on the on the Wicked Side, the brand new book. And uh, as you keep writing and keep doing new things with these characters, uh, we'd love to have you back on the program. So thanks so much for the conversation. Thanks so much, Elliot. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to our executive producer of the program. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the work that she does behind the scenes to make these podcasts possible for you, not only here on Now Appalachia, but on all the podcasts that you hear across the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Well, that's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.